Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Tim, and I'm so glad that you can join me today as you're living your life and heading toward your emerging future. Hopefully you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is so true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So this is episode 81. Got a great guest today. I'm so excited to share this interview with you all. And hey, you know what's going on, right? March Madness. Like, yes, it's happening. But let me go ahead and say this. Now, some of you may get mad at me. Some probably don't even care about March Madness, but look, man, don't abuse this time like with work all day long, streaming, not getting things done. Do your job, man, do your work, okay? Don't forget the kids at school or whatever you gotta do, pick them up. Just, you know, it's it's an awesome time. And I love seeing the Cinderella's, you know? Um, I participate in uh, brackets and this year I have a client that they have one going at, at their place and I filled up my bracket and sent it into the guy um, who's in charge of it and I'm picking Villanova. I'm a Yukon guy from Connecticut so I love Yukon well but they're not even relevant right now but I have picked Villanova. I'm curious who'd you pick if you do that so that would be cool. Give me a, give me a little hit hit me up on Twitter or something shoot me an email. You could send me an email at tim at uphillconversations.co. But if you want to connect more uh, with the show and know more about it, go to uphillconversations.co. You'll find all the social channels there. That's .co, not .com. Um, also, there's a button right at the top that I would like you to look at, right below the little picture of this guy that's talking right now. Uh, below there, it says, be a guest on the show. Just click that button there and um, fill it out. Fill out the form. Tell us about yourself and um, we'll take that information, look at it and see if it's a good fit. Or if you know someone else that might be, you know, hey, they might be a great guest. And you say, this guy really has got something to tell the world, some great stuff. Um, They're one that understands that their current condition doesn't match the emerging future and that they have information, stories. They're doing fascinating things, making a difference. Um, They're willing to be transparent, authentic, have a great conversation. Hey, submit them as well. That would be great. If you would jump over to iTunes and Stitcher, rate and review the show. Simply look for Uphill Conversations. I appreciate all of you who do that. And the downloads, uh, just you guys show the love with downloads. That's great. And listening to the show. So I just, I'm so thankful and so grateful to each of you who listen on a regular basis. And even those of you who, because you have so many great things to listen to, uh, give us a little space here and there in your, as they say, earballs um, to share um, some time with you and ride along with you in your life. But uh, hey, today on the show, great person, great, great guest, um, been trying to coordinate with her. As a matter of fact, she was sub- she was submitted to be a guest on the show from someone uh, that works with her out at Stanford University. Her name is Kathleen Janice, our guest today. She's a social entrepreneur, author, and lecturer at Stanford University's program on social entrepreneurship. 
as an expert on uh, philanthropy, uh, millennial engagement, and scaling early stage organizations. Her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, uh, Stanford Social Innovation Review, TechCrunch, and San Francisco Chronicle. And she just released a book, which we'll talk some about. We're going to do, we have to do this in two parts because our time um, was limited, but she's already said she'll do a part two. But anyways, her book, Social Startup Success, How the Best Nonprofits Launch, Scale Up, and Make a Difference. I mean, literally, this is a playbook. She even has a workbook that goes along with it. You'll find all these resources um, in the show notes that you can find at our website, but she talks about them as well. But she's written a playbook for nonprofit organizations based on a five-year research project interviewing hundreds of top-performing social innovators. So, I mean, I know as someone who worked for nearly 10 years, I I think I almost hit 10-year mark um, for a 501c3 in her book, and the things I've read in this book, um, the wisdom and the insights truly are a difference maker for nonprofits. Um, in her book, just the just simply to put, because I think it's worth hearing, the contents of her book just testing ideas, measuring impact, funding experimentation, um, leading collaboratively, and telling compelling stories. Those are just the um, just the the overarching topic. But man, she drills deep into each one of them. In the book is phenomenal. So I recommend if you're a person that has a cause or you believe even um, social efforts and activism, this book is incredible. So without any further delay, let's do this. Let's jump into this wonderful interview with Kathleen Janice. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. How are you and how are things going in your world? I am doing great here in San Francisco, California. Thank you for having me, Tim. Hey, we've been working on this for a while, haven't we? We have (laughs) had some reschedules, some weather things. I think we had one time our network wasn't working properly. It was like, oh, but we're (laughs) we're here. So California feeling good. Good weather. Yeah, better than where you are, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little, yeah, it's a little, it's a little chilly, but I like it that way. I like, I think, I think winter clothes are more fun than summer clothes. That's just me. I like, cause you can have layers <laughs> and you get more options and it's fun. I don't know how That's you feel true. about it, but I just, I like that. And unfortunately where we are though, the weather changes so quickly, we don't really get to have, you know, deep seasons. It's just boom, mm-hmm. they happen and they're gone. So, um, yeah. well, Hey, Congrats on your book and Thank the release you. of it, Social Startup Success. And in our pre-chat, you were talking about an interview you just had. Do you want to you want to reveal? Want to tell? Yeah, I was just talking with Fast Company. Is doing an interview um, about the book. They're going to write a piece on it, which is very exciting. And so, like when you when you, what was it like when they reached out to you and said, "Hey, we want to talk to you." Were you like, "Oh my gosh"? <laughs> It was more like I reached out to them 12 times before (laughs) they got back to me finally and said, sure, stop bothering us. We'll do an article. (laughs) That is awesome, though. But see, that persistency, it pays off, doesn't it? It really does. And I think that's something I've learned from this whole book project is, you know, the the, I think it's, it's hard for so many of us to just be promotional about ourselves or it feels promotional. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is it's not about ourselves. It's about the message that we have for the world. And if that's important and worth spreading, then that persistence is important so that you can get that message out there. 
And you know, I, I let's let's look at that for a second because I love what you just shared there, just in regard to you know feeling like it's self promotion. Um, you know, I had someone one time say to me, you know, hey, you know, you you know you you don't have to sell me on that, and I'm like, I'm not selling you on anything. I'm telling mm. you about something. And you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, I, I can't help that I'm so excited about the work that I do because it's all around transformation and change as a coach mm -hmm. and working with entrepreneurs on a daily basis and companies and organizations, strengthening their teams and, right. and helping people grow as leaders and then helping them also with the organizational health. Like, I'm excited about that. So when I'm sitting there and you're asking me questions and I'm telling you, I'm not selling you. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. telling you, <laughs> you know, well, and I think it's important to be clear on that mentally and just feel OK with the fact that some people are not going to receive your message. Well, whether it's telling you that you are being sold or <laughs> telling you that, you know, that. Um, or just saying no, you know, like I've gotten a lot of no's from, from media that are not interested in the story of social startup success and that's okay too. So how do you deal with those no's when you hear no? I mean, it's hard who, you know, you, you want to, um, you want to think that everybody is excited about the work that you do as you are. <laughs> and right. the reality is that, you know, everyone's got something that keeps them up at night and just because, your issue isn't what keeps them up at night doesn't mean that your issue isn't important. Um, the other thing to remember about a no, if you do receive a no, is that it, that is a, could be a conversation for another opportunity down the road. I mean, a no is an open door to you know, other things that could come out of it, whether it's an article down the road or, you know, maybe, maybe this, this article that you're pitching, for example, isn't, isn't right at this time, but maybe there's something else. And now you have that connection for, for the future. So I think keeping an open mind and, and just realizing that it's all part of the process is, and the other thing is if you're not getting no's, you're not pushing hard enough, right? right. Like, I mean, nobody who, uh, has gotten a yes and has gotten, you know, had success, has, um, has been able to go through life without no's. <laughs> right. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, no just means not right now. You exactly. Know, and, 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 exactly right. Yeah. And that's just, you know, where it is. But I think also how you respond to no tells people something because I feel like when people see how you receive no, Yes. That can move you up to a greater place. You could be elevated in yes. their mind. It elevates them. I like, love that. You know, so, you know, so for those of you listening, we're having a, you know, this is, this is a kind of a neat little thing here. When you hear no, respond, work on your response to no, because that could yes. actually elevate your value and the worth of how you received that quote unquote rejection. You know what I mean? And, and that doesn't mean pushing harder. Like right. when they so say no, I mean, you have to use your judgment, but you know, that, that could be a hard no. Um, but it, it's about putting yourselves in their shoes. I mean, whether it's an investor or whether it's, you know, someone in the media, these folks get pitched all the time. Everybody's asking them for something all the time. And so, you know, just putting in, yourself in their shoes and say, I, I completely understand that you 
get a lot of these types of requests and that these kinds of decisions are hard and I'm grateful for your time. Right. And you know, also when you get those no's, I think it's good if you would become more contemplative and reflective, sit back mm-hmm. and, and think about how you feel about what you just heard, because I think it will, it'll give you more proof and evidence as to how you feel about what it is that you're doing as well. It will help you <laughs> when you spend more time with that. You know what I mean? Not, I'm not talking yeah. about roll around in the, oh, poor me, none of that. It's just more of, okay, I got this now. How did I feel? Yeah. How did you feel? And also use it as learning. I mean, this is something I talk about in social startup success is we have this fear of failure in our society. Um, But what we all need to do is to reframe failure as learning. I mean, that no could be a really helpful answer to understanding the context and how your message is being received and whether it's being received. And if a message that you thought was going to be received well by someone is not, that's an opportunity for reflection to try and understand why. Um, so that next time you can be more effective in your pitch or you can, you know, switch, switch up what you're asking or, or whatever. And so that leads right into social startup success. I mean, you know, that's a part of your book and you, you know, you bring up and I love that, you know, reframe failure as a learning experience, like really learn to do that. And those are skills we need to be better at developing anyways. I mean, all of our lives we hear, no, I mean, you don't, you ever notice when you're, when your children are little, it's like, you feel like sometimes you say no to them more than you say yes. (laughs) Yes, yeah. all the time. I have it's a like, five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, and all oh, I ever wow. do is you know. <laughs> well, your superpower, <laughs> I can tell, is being mom. Like, that's like one of them. But, I mean, that's a powerful thing, especially that age group. I mean, wow, that is just, oh, my gosh. So I remember with my little ones, no, 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 no. You know, we train kids to hear no more than yes. However, yeah. when we when, when when they're hearing no, we're not helping them with the yes. And yes. what we need to do is help them navigate through the emotions of the no. So that way, you know what I mean? They don't feel like they, you know, get them to the point where they stop asking or they stop trying or they stop pursuing because the no needs to, as you said, it needs to be reframed. Even if it's Mm -hmm. no, that it feels like a failure, that it's a learning experience. So what could you learn? Because simple adjustments could lead you to the yes that you ultimately want, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's all about, as I say, with toddlers, it's all about redirection. Um, and, (laughs) And, you know, I think the same is true in entrepreneurship is if you're really rigorous in trying to figure out what's working and what's not using a rigorous data different approach you'll be able to redirect your organization or your company um, in ways that are going to make you more effective and better behaved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The behavior part is is really good. That's a whole nother topic right there because I tell people behavior follows belief. And if you can help people with what they believe, their behavior can change. Mm-hmm. Um, so social startup success, like for you, how did this, how did this book come about? Mm-hmm, why, you know, mm-hmm. why was it so important to you? Well, I was an accidental social entrepreneur. I was a young lawyer in San Francisco and I was billing hours by day and wanted to find more fulfillment in the community work that I was doing and started an organization called Spark to engage young professionals in new forms of philanthropy to support gender equality issues. 
And so Spark was amazing. We had events, we had uh, volunteer uh, efforts, fundraising. We had a ton of buzz. We grew to be the largest network of millennial donors in the world. We had 10,000 members in our network. And despite all of this, we could not get the capital that we needed to grow. We hit a wall at $500,000 in revenue, and it was just when we hit our stride. And I kept wondering, you know, who were all these organizations around us that were succeeding and what were they doing that we were not doing at Spark? And so in several years later, I, I was teaching social entrepreneurship at Stanford and started to do this research to try and understand this question. Why is it that some organizations succeed and scale and others don't? And so I went out and I interviewed hundreds of organizations and um, I sat down with top leaders around the country from Wendy Kopp at Teach for America to Charles Best at Donors Choose, all to get to the bottom of this question. And so Social Startup Success is the playbook that I wish I had when we co-founded Spark. It's the it's the playbook that my Stanford students have been asking me for for years. And my hope is that readers will come away from the book with a much better understanding of how we can all be supporters of the nonprofits that we care about so much and the social causes that we um, want to support. And what's interesting is that all of these lessons that I talk about in the book are teachable. And I think that's what's most exciting to me is that we have the potential to be so much better at maximizing the resources that we have, and yet we're wasting money teaching these lessons on the job. And so I, I think we can all do a better job of supporting nonprofits. And my hope is that this book helps in that effort. Now, have you ever thought about making like some sort of complimentary uh, workbook to go along with this? You know what I mean? I have one. <laughs> you do? Well, look it's at that. My, on my website at KathleenJanis.com. Well, look at that. There's that's there's a workbook. And um, and so with that workbook, which is great because now what you can do is this is for the person that just even wants to get involved before they join a board. What about yes. that? Like, you know, because, you know, I, I've been on several boards. I've even quit boards. And mm -hmm. they were they were like, you know, you know, it's not a good thing to resign from a board. And I'm like, well, ah. why not? And they go, well, because, you know, people in communities talk and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, good. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you my reason. My yeah. reason is because on a board, I believe you should have doers and getters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on a board, I feel like when you get together and we're still talking about the same thing we talked about six months ago and yeah. we don't see anything advancing, that's a problem. In a right. board, when we're sitting there always talking about money, and that's one of the things you said even, I believe it's in your introduction, scaling revenue mm -hmm. doesn't, it always doesn't necessarily equate to scaling impact. And that's right. the other thing. It's like, so you're raising the money, but what's the impact? Yeah. And and then impact, is it just a moment or is it a movement? Those are big questions for me. And yeah. so if I'm going to come and give this time and I'm like, I'm all in, I'm one of those people either I do yeah. it or I don't. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be like, kind of like, oh, well, let me try it for a little bit. No, I'm either, I know enough that I want to, yeah. or I know enough that I do not want to, because I, I want to make a difference. You know, I believe in individuating, mm -hmm. I believe in self-actualizing and I believe in making a difference. And we're, yeah. we're always somewhere there, you know, in one of those. So, right. so as you, you know, so you have this workbook, you have the book 
And you're, you know, you're, you're you, this was driven from your own experience with Spark. And I think you said you co-founded with six other, was it mm-hmm. six other folks, yep. right? And, and so you, you, you talk about learning the hard way, right? Yeah. So what were some of the, on this uphill climb for you, even just in your early days of Spark, what were some of the key takeaways that made the most impact in you that you feel were those seedlings that you planted mm. into this book? Yeah. So I think with Spark, you know, first of all, I never anticipated starting a nonprofit. I did it because I was filling a need in our community that there were so many young people at our community who wanted to get involved and didn't feel like their contributions were going to be valuable. I mean, you know, we all know as young people, like you're just starting out, you don't have a ton of money to offer. You do have time and expertise and other things to to give. But of course, the money is what's valued by organizations. And so, you know, we, we stretch ourselves to give like a $250 gift, which felt so much to us with all of our mountains of student loans. And, <laughs> yeah. and then the organization would be like, oh, that's so kind. And, you know, of course, take the money, but then, you know, you'd never hear from them again. And that wasn't very satisfying as a donor. And so, you know, we started Spark because we knew that our peers had so much more energy to give and we wanted to harness that energy. And so I think that is one lesson that was really important to me early on, which is that so many people start organizations because they want to start an organization as opposed to really addressing a problem that needs to be solved in their communities. And so, um, so that's one piece, but then, you know, the other piece for me that is one of the biggest lessons that I learned in starting spark is that we all have the potential to be activists and social change makers within our communities, within our world. And I remember so clearly in law school being in, you know, the career counselor's office and listening to this spiel about, you know, either you're going to go work for a big law firm or you're going to go do public interest work. And it's one or the other. And it's such a false dichotomy, you know, that you either can go into business and 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 make money or you can go into the nonprofit sector and do good. There's so much in between and we all have the potential to be activists for the issues that we care about. And I didn't really internalize that until we started Spark and I was involved in the nonprofit community and saw the ways that we could all give back in ways that were meaningful to causes and to organizations. And so as I think about what I want for this book and how that translates into social startup success is that, um, yes, we all have the potential to be change makers, but we have to make sure that we're doing it well because so often donor efforts are misguided and we all want to be doing good work, but we need to be doing it in a way that's actually effective for organizations and not just making ourselves feel better. What I love is that spark was just, that's literally spark. Obviously it, it ignites. It's the, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I like how you talked about how, you know, your peers had energy to give 
and you wanted to help them harness that energy. So channel it. So like spark to me is all about, Hey, you know, you can be activists for the issues that you care about and you have this energy and it's here and, you know, everybody's kind of like, yes, that's true. And they all come together. Mm -hmm. And then I like the fact that you have allowed this to evolve into, but wait a second, let's, let's help people like put the nuts and bolts to this. You know, it's like, how do you assemble it? You know, it's like, I can take two pieces of wood and I could take three pieces of wood, two, two side, you know, boards and then lay a top on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But unless I fasten it, you you know what I mean? Understand its structure, know what's load bearing and not, how can you lean? You know what I mean? Have some design to it. Mm -hmm. Spark moves more into, you know, recognizing and understanding the design that needs to go into it, the intentionality that needs to go into it, the leadership that needs to go into it. So it's, it's not just, and it's smarts. You get a lot of smarts in there, but I think one of the other things that I kept seeing throughout the book in the thread is I feel like you present it in a way that it's attainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are not hard lessons to learn. That, and I think that's what's so interesting is that so many nonprofit leaders go into this work with very few tools in their toolkit to address the challenges that inevitably come up when you are starting an organization, like hiring and firing. I'll tell you a story of a guy named Rob Gittin who founded an organization called At the Crossroads. And he was a student at Stanford like many of my students, decided to choose his class schedule based on the classes that met afternoon so that he could sleep in. (laughs) And he stumbled into this class one day just because it met at 2 p.m. called Homelessness in America. And he fell in love. He was working with homeless kids. He was helping these kids that had been let down by the system every step of the way, by their families, by the juvenile justice system, by the foster care system. And he loved being able to create trust with these kids and to be able to help them rebuild their lives. And so he wanted to start an organization really as a self-employment plan because he loved hanging out with these kids so much. And so he was able to get some seed funding from Equine Green. He started at the crossroads and he was doing it. He was doing homeless outreach 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. every night. But he realized that one by one by one, helping these kids was not really going to make a difference, that there were thousands of kids that he couldn't reach by himself, and that if he wanted to reach them, he was going to have to build a much bigger organization. The problem is that Rob was 22, and he had never been hired before, let alone hired anyone himself. He hadn't Uh, he didn't have connections to high net worth individuals to raise the millions of dollars that he would need to found this organization. And Rob's story is the story of so many young people who start organizations and realize very quickly that charisma and passion will only take them so far. And so as a result, we're wasting money while these young people learn these lessons on the job. And as you say, they are not hard lessons to learn that any organization, no matter how big or small, no matter how many resources they have, can do a better job of measuring their impact, can do a better job of engaging their board and and developing a really great board, um, can do a better job of telling their story. And so I'm really excited to try and help organizations do all of those things better so that we can get to the real work, the meat of the work that needs to be done. Right. So success basically for a nonprofit and this startup success is 
and even with that story is, you know, you, you mentioned charisma, you know, that's what people think like this dynamic charismatic person, or you need a celebrity. You gotta, right. have, you gotta have this one person to be able to do it. Right. But, mm-hmm. but really the foundation, and I do think you reference it somewhere in the book, but it's the foundation of success is, is a set of best practices. Mm-hmm. It's having mm-hmm. the best practices in place. And I like this story as well in the sense that I grew up inner city and I grew up where mm-hmm. it was really rough in Connecticut. So I lived in, in New London, Hartford, New Haven. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so these in Norwich, Connecticut. And this was in a time where, you know, it was it, it was interesting. And growing up as a kid, um, it was not easy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and what you had to deal with. But I like how it's a, it's about proximity. And mm-hmm. I'm one of those, uh, you know, you got to be connected to it. So you got to get connected to the community. You're going to have to be able to build some understanding. 100%. You have to have empathy in order to create action. And with action, you need a plan. And with a plan, once again, it still comes back to proximity because you're still going to need other people because one is too small of a number to accomplish anything yep. of great significance, right? And that's true whether you're an organization or whether you are an individual. So speaking of Connecticut, I was doing some research recently on uh, the the Newtown shooting and found that um, that that <laughs> sixty seven thousand teddy bears flooded into Newtown, Connecticut after the shooting. Right. That <laughs> they had to literally rent a warehouse to house all of the stuff that was coming in, the bicycles that, you know, all super well-intentioned, but totally misguided. Like what these kids needed was therapy. They needed, you know, they needed, you know, better education. They needed so much more than, than teddy bears. And I saw this, I'm from Napa where we had, uh, we had uh, terrible fires that, that, destroyed our community, uh, in the fall. And, you know, I saw this with, I was working with organizations up there and the stuff started coming in, you know, and, and people were donating old clothes. And, you know, I went, to, I was working with this organization that works with Latinos and the uh, executive director took me out back and said, showed me a mountain of dog food. And she said, Kathleen, uh, what do we do with this? The Latinos in our community don't have dogs. <laughs> like, you <know? laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there are many Latinos who do have dogs. Um, but, but that's not the point. The point is that donors, however well intentioned are often very misguided and, and, and need to do a better job of channeling their efforts so that they can be not just doing what makes them feel good. Um, but what is actually doing real good. Wow. That is, and that is so powerful because I see, you know, anyone can apply for a 501c3 or 501c4. Uh, you know, they, they can do it. And it's sad because you see that they're just doing it. And, and once again, a cause is great, you know, um, but I, here's what I, I, I view it as this. I want it to be more based on a burden mm-hmm. and, and what good is a burden if it doesn't have any weight? Mm-hmm. And if I have a burden and the burden has weight, then that weight is going to be, 
it's going to influence me to do something, Yes, you know, and then when I do something, then I want to think about what it is that I'm doing. As you said, you know, teddy bears are great and bicycles, teddy bears and bicycles are great. That'd be a great blog, you know, however, yeah. what I, what we need is we need, we need to be able to educate. We need to be able to really sit down and have some real conversations and some better learning. But with all of these um, social um, programs that are out there and in and social nonprofits that are around some sort of cause or idea. Do you not feel that they're detracting just because they just they get some, you know, they get 10 minutes of attention? And I think they're all good mm-hmm. ideas, but rather than start a new one, it's kind of like churches. I, I'll, I'll go, I get, I get, no, I'm not kidding. I get hired sometimes to go and I'll speak to some church leaders and stuff. And, and I'll, and I'll sit there and I'll say, look, okay, you all have a children's program. You all have a youth program. You all have an adult program. You all have a senior program. You all want to do a food bank bank program. Why don't you talk to the church that's right down the road and say, how can we work together you know what I'm saying? Instead yes. of creating another one, because I believe, I think all of the things are important and one can't reach them all. But I feel like we got to find ways to bring some of these efforts together. How can they create, um, how can they become more congruent? Mm-hmm. How can they leverage opportunity one with the other? What are your thoughts on that um, as it relates to so many of them are popping up, so many causes? I mean, there's a cause for everything, right? Um, yeah. But how do we, what are ways that you would say to those? Because I, I have a good friend that he raises money for Habitat. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've helped Miracle Hill Ministries here in the upstate of South Carolina for years. They've been around 75 years. They're not into expanding into other states. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. done great work here, food, clothing, and shelter. That's what they do. Yeah. And But they're so good at it, and they work with other people. How can you encourage others to, instead of just cranking up your cause— Mm-hmm. Look around what's already there, and how do you get involved? How do you partner? How do you share? How, how do you how do you foster that type of uh, communication and open door for conversation? Well, I think it's critical. I, I see this in the university setting all the time. Universities for so many years have uh, taught students that they should be starting organizations. I mean, literally it's part of some of these classes projects, like come up with an idea to solve a, solve a problem. And, you know, that's their project. And then when they graduate, they start this organization. And, you know, the reality is what's sad to me is that those students are getting funded at the expense of community-based leaders who have much more lived experience, have the burden like you were talking about, have the proximity like you were talking about um, to the communities they're serving and are in a much better position to solve the social problems that we're talking about, but don't have access to those resources, don't have access to those networks. And so one of the things I think a lot about is how can we do a better job of supporting those community-based organizations so that they can be more effective in serving those communities. Um, And then I think, you know, we all need to, anyone who starts an organization needs to be really honest with themselves about doing a systems map and understanding, well, what are the other organizations that are already doing this work? And is your organization truly filling a need or is it just, um, you know, just one more organization uh, uh, along with the other 
15 doing that work in your community. Right. And, and then they end up, you know, I say to them, I'll ask a question when I see someone say they want to start a cause and they'll say something like, so this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to say, okay, so is this an element of competition or an element of completion? Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? How do we complete one another versus compete? Yeah. Because what what we're going to do is we're, we're going to end up fighting over the same resources. Yeah. Or one of us is going to win because of who we know. You know what I yep. mean? Someone's going to win. And why do we have to have winners and losers in something that we believe so much in? And why right. can't we learn, as you said, sit, make a systems map? It's funny that you brought this up because I coach soccer. Um, uh-huh. I, I, ne- I played intramural. I was a wrestler and a football player, and um, that's what I did. And and so football, I would I have to gain weight, put on muscle weight and mass, and then wrestling, I would bring my weight down, you know, to a healthy level. They, right. I'm from Connecticut, so you know they made sure we were safe because wrestling was <laughs> big up there. And so, but I played intramural soccer in in the middle, and I did that because I'm running all the time. So if I was putting on weight, I wanted to be able to run and keep up my speed because of the position I played in football. But then with wrestling and I had to bring it down, I wanted to still keep lean muscle and have my lungs and it helped me develop. So I always did that in the off season. So soccer, all my kids played and our, our daughter, she's eight. Mm-hmm. And I did this with the boys. My oldest is 17. Then there's 15, then eight. My, our eight year old came later. And so obviously, so the, thing I taught that I've always told them is strong mind, strong heart, strong body in every game, win or lose. We say the beginning of the game and the end. And I'll say, what do you have? And they point to their head, strong mind to their heart, strong heart. (laughs) And then they flex strong body. And right now I've got 10, I got 10, eight, nine year old girls doing that before and after a game, win or lose. It's what they do. And then I always say your champion. What do you tell your champion? They say, champion, come out because that's the only way your champion can play is if you let the champion out. But with that, yeah, so what I, you know, someone said to me, because I like to work with young people and I speak at schools and um, not all, you know, to me, kids make it simpler. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, they're not so caught up in so many things. I love coaching adults and working with them. But with kids, I love getting with them because I can help them with with decision making. I can help them you know, with, with working through emotions, like it's really interesting to teach a kid about emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And their self-awareness and their social awareness and some of those things. But I've had people say to me, you know, Tim, why don't you turn this into this and go do this and start this? And I'm like, no, I don't want to start it. I'm going to do it right here. Once again, it's a proximity thing. I can coach this team and affect change here, but I can also lend that assistance to another group that's doing it and they need maybe what they need from me is more intellectual property that I have on ways yeah. of doing things. And that's my investment. You know what I mean? Yes. Like we need to feel better about doing that. I mean, And we need to take our egos out of it. And that's in your book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Talk about exactly. that. It all comes back to yeah, the book. It is in the book. Talk about that. Removing ego as it, as it relates to startup um, success here. Tell me social startup success. Tell me about ego, dealing with it, removing it. I know Ryan Holiday has a great book. Ego is the enemy. It's an awesome book. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it is phenomenal. Well, I think, I think that we all, I mean, imagine, imagine that you had to work for a leader who was taking all the credit all the time. That wouldn't be very satisfying at all. And so I think in order to be good leaders, I think that 
organizations need to think about how to engage their teams at every level, because that is what makes a successful movement is when everybody feels connected to the cause. That is excellent. And let me, let me say this because we'll have to do a round two on this because I know we need to do short. And I'm, I'm for real, I'm going to send you a link. Let's reschedule, do a part two on this because I really want to push your book. I want to push what you're doing and the work that you're doing, especially with all the social movements that we have going on right now. Yeah. Um, I would love to do that, but I want to ask you this one question. What are three things that you are optimistic about over the next 12 months? It could be personal or professional. I am optimistic about getting this book into the hands of people who can use it. (laughs) I am optimistic about getting to spend some time with my kids after (laughs) this book tour is over at the end of June. And I'm really optimistic about young people in the the future of this country. I think that young people are, uh, are, are, are really, really inspired to make this world a better place. And I'm excited to help get them the tools to do that. That is great. And what is the best way that you want our audience to connect with you? The simplest, quickest way that you like to communicate? Yep. Um, my website is kathleenjanis.com and you can find a ton of free resources there and my contact information too. Great. And one last thing I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, I, when you, with your book, I, um, we're doing some giveaways of books and other authors that we've had. Would you be willing to send me some books that we could give away, um, to folks? So I'll, I'll shoot that to you in an email and, um, but listen, this was a great part one. I need you to say (laughs) on the, you got to tell me part two, we're going to do a part two. Let's do it. Okay. And so um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember your current condition does not match your emerging future. Anything worth having is uphill. However, you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. Always remember you can be more, do more, and have more. Your reasons for being, doing, and having are for you to figure out and no one else. But most importantly, you will see people like me and Kathleen on the Hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the Hill.